Welcome to Engineering Career Journeys, brought to you by Australia-wide Engineering Recruitment. This is a podcast series where we interview prominent senior engineers from across Australia and delve deeper into their career journeys and how they got where they are today. We hope that this will inspire and assist up-and-coming engineers in planning their own careers. Now over to your host, David Armstrong, General Manager of Australia-wide Engineering Recruitment. Hello and welcome to today's conversation with Josiah Mapofu. Josiah is a mechanical engineer graduating from the University of Zimbabwe. He has an impressive 22 years experience in plant engineering and maintenance management, equipment redesign and project management with an impeccable record as a safety and people leader of projects and maintenance teams. Josiah spent close to two decades in Africa maintaining ports, rail assets and running FMCG manufacturing plants. Josiah's current role is the engineering and maintenance manager with the DIC Corporation based in Sydney, covering their Australian and New Zealand manufacturing facilities. DIC is a multinational corporation headquartered in Tokyo with a very strong global footprint. Its core business is the manufacture and sale of printing inks and coatings applied to form the printed word and to decorate and protect packaging. Thanks very much, Josiah, for agreeing to join with us today. Dave, thank you. I'm really uh, privileged to be part of this podcast. So thank you very much for inviting me. I hope definitely to inspire one or two people out there. Fantastic. And our absolute pleasure to have you. Thanks so much, Josiah. What interested you to become a mechanical engineer? I would say, Dave, it's probably two things. Really, the family support. My father was a track master in the railways. And my two brothers ended up being uh, apprentices, eventually became technicians. One uh, is a telecom technician uh, by training. The other is a diesel mechanic. So that always inspired me to do something technical, something to do with equipment. And when I realized that I was good at mathematics, which is one of the prerequisites for the field of engineering, it naturally progressed into me taking on graduate studies as a mechanical engineer. And the placement that I did where I went to a factory, uh, it was actually a machining shop uh, as part of my vocational training, which is my holiday training, which was a prerequisite that you had to do six weeks of uh, VAC work inside a factory or an engineering facility. So I was privileged to work in a workshop that was really hands-on engineering. So I was actually a machinist in that workshop machining various pieces of equipment, repairs, and also welding. Uh, that again reinforced my interest in this subject of mechanical engineering. That early practical experience, was that very important for you? It was very, very important. And in fact, to this day, those experiences that I picked up when I did my practical training, they still come back as very, very practical and useful in the decision that I make today. Not only did it assist me to get to know people at that level, you know, your fitter machinists, which even up to today, they still affect the outputs that I deliver to any organization that I work, because your fitters, your machinists, your artisans, uh, they are really the backbone of most of the outputs that you have in an engineering facility. So the fact that I worked with them at the same level, not as a leader, but as one of them, get to joke with them, get to understand what their frustrations are, 
understand what the work environment is, what are the inputs, what are the outputs, is one of them. It helped me to be able to communicate with any level in any organization because I've been there, I've worked with them. It also be able to build rapport. And up to this day, I don't have a chip on my shoulder. The position that I occupy, that's what it is. It's a privilege to lead, uh, but it's uh, nowhere a differentiator that I'm superior to any part of the organization, any person in the organization. I've seen that has assisted me to quickly find common ground such that when I expect certain outputs from the people that I lead, it's very easy for them to give me those outputs because they find that we understand each other and I I communicate at the level. What an interesting start, Josiah. You have a master's from the University of Cape Town, Josiah. How important were your postgrad studies in order for you to reach your level? Oh, again, because I did my master's when I was just, I'd say, 12 years, 12 to 13 years after my uh, undergrad. So at that time also in, in your career or in, in my case, in my career, you've almost put to application all the theoretical learnings that you took out of your undergrad studies and you are now looking for bigger things, for more things. So the MSc in project management was definitely something that almost gave me another you know, step change to not only my ability to deliver things quicker, but also because of the nature of the studies and the thesis and the volume of material that I had to go through in a short space of time. It just gave me this skill that I did not have to be able to analyze large amounts of data within a short period of time and be able to take out useful information out of that. So because of the masters, I can open up any standard and really find out the things that I need out of that standard and be able to make decisions quickly. And I can see that change started when I finished my masters. Uh, And also the ability to almost take every activity that I drive or manage and use the project management principles to drive that start and an end, and manage all the inputs inside that activity. So I've seen that being able to break down your tasks into a start and an end, uh, which is pretty much what you learn in, in the project management uh, environment, has enabled me to deliver things quicker, to manage tasks concurrently, and also really deliver at a level that I would not have been able to had I not done my postgrad studies. And in most cases, that has also opened up for other career opportunities because in a lot of the roles that I've assumed after that, the master's had actually become one of the minimum requirements. Is it something that you recommend, Josiah, for up-and-coming engineers, post-grad studies? I definitely would recommend. And also looking at my journey, that it was 13 years later that I did my post-grad studies, you could almost say... At some point, you exhaust all the basics that you learned from your first degree, and you are looking for another fire, another spark. Yes. You almost take it to another level. So I would say I wouldn't recommend someone doing immediately after undergrad, they're going to master's. They may not get the full benefit of the undergraduate study. Some do that, and they still become successful in applying that. But I would have found it, you know, information overload a bit too much to have done two degrees same time before I started working. But the fact that I applied my first degree, worked for many years, really developed my career, and then did postgrad studies. That has enriched my career. That has made it a lot more solid because I've got the basics in place. 
So you feel it's very important to take time between undergraduate and postgrad studies, get some practical experience in the workforce before supplementing your education with further studies? I strongly feel that. I strongly feel it would enhance the outputs that you deliver because you've applied your undergrad, you've applied those basic principles. You know the impact of those basic principles. When you apply them, what happens? Those are first laws, first principles, and now you're ready for, for something bigger. Have you had many mentors along the way, Josiah? And if so, how much have they helped you? Oh, I've had numerous mentors, some formal, some informal. Even if I start when I was an Anglo student, I mean, I had people that would come, some would be a, you know, a group environment, mentoring as a group environment. Some would be one-on-one where you have personal interaction with them. So I'd say in every job that I've taken, every company that I've worked for, I've had more than one mentors. Some are formal, where there's a formal arrangement where you meet as planned. Some are informal mentors. And I've actually found that sometimes the informal mentors, you learn the most out of them because that tends to be quite specific. A specific aspect of a career could be people leadership. It could be struggling with certain equipment design. could be struggling with the direction of a career. And those informal conversations that you have have actually been a lot more powerful than when I have you know, set sessions with a formalized mentor. So I've had lots of mentors. Um, I've also had coaches. I've had people that would show me how to apply a certain technique, how to do a certain calculation, how to use a better rule of thumb in doing estimations or doing pricing. So all along my career, I've really valued the impact of other people in my development. And as I said earlier on, sometimes it's the lower level person that will influence you to think differently. And if you respect everybody, you make it easy for them to give you both positive and negative feedback. Obviously, I've learned the most from negative feedbacks, which sometimes is very painful when someone tells you that that's wrong, you're not doing things correctly. And, and if you use your, your background, your educational experience, to think that you know it all, you can easily block negative feedback. You can easily have people watch you and watch you to fail. But if you just take that as, it's an opportunity that I had to have a a BSc and a master's, but that's what it is. It was just an opportunity and it led me to where I am. Uh, But where I'm going to be will be determined by how I interact with people around me and how they influence my career. Um, And if you can open those doors to allow as many people as possible to give you feedback, can only be a better engineer. Have you been involved in lots of personal development so as to stay updated? Yes, I have, Dave. Um, uh, a lot of them were through short courses where I had the privilege to attend a lot of courses, even in my current job. I've got a few courses planned up this month, next month. I've also attended bigger ones where I had to go for conferences. In fact, when I was in South Africa, I probably came to Australia three times on conferences and courses. I've had the privilege to go to the U.S. I worked at uh, General Electric as part of the Lean Six Sigma uh, Action Learning Program in one of the companies that I worked with, which was really a great opportunity to learn from General Electric. I've also been part of the Heavy Oil Conference where I chaired one of the plenary sessions. But in fact, it was actually a great learning session for me as well to have to interact with engineers and adjudicate on papers. And I would say 
even to this day, I still am an external examiner at the University of Cape Town, where I, I still mark the thesis for the master students in my spare time. And I've seen that also is a great learning opportunity where you see some of these papers that, you know, the young engineers are writing, and you learn a lot from that. So, and I think with the access of information that we now have, you know, through the internet, through subscription journals, you can never stop learning. And, and in fact, I think, you know, they say, if you stop learning, you start dying. I've really seen that you have to be learning something. It could be financial management, how to manage your finances. It could be a standard that's applicable to, you know, the work that you do. You can never stop. And obviously, as you become more senior, a lot of the learning will be through reading journals and publications and standards, and probably less so through formalized learning. And also a lot of them will be through you training other people or mentoring other people. I've had the privilege again to mentor lots of engineers through formalized and informalized processes. And I've seen that not only are they learning from me, but I'm also learning a lot from them. So I always value these interactions where sometimes you think you are facilitating a session as a, an external lecturer or as a part-time lecturer, but in the process, you're actually learning a lot from your students, from the comments they make, from the experiences they share. So I've seen that by being involved in all these facets of uh, interacting with engineers, not only have I imparted my experience, but I've also learned a lot from the people that I've interacted with. What was the biggest challenge during your career, Josiah, and how did you overcome it? I can't think of one big challenge that I've experienced, but I've, I've had a lot of peaks and valleys, almost like this curve that's continuously going up, but it has its ups and downs. So in a day, I would have a bad situation. I would also have good situations. And a lot of the challenge that I've overcome was during uh, career transitions. I mean, I trained in Zimbabwe. I did my postgrad training in Zimbabwe. And then when I finished that, I transferred to South Africa and worked in South Africa. So there was a cultural dimension that I needed to bridge there as well. A lot of learning, how to interact with people. And also now the transition to Australia, um, also cultural differences, a lot of transitional issues that I, I had to also manage, how to communicate and interact with people. But I've seen that as long as someone is humble enough to accept feedback, you fast track your learning process because then you've got hundreds and hundreds of uh, mentors and, and, and people that are interested in your development. So even though I've faced those challenges where I had to do career transitions, I've never really seen them as insurmountable uh, because of the support that I always had around me. To have the ability to change country and subsequently continent is quite something. How did you succeed in being able to do that? I would say the background that I had in being able to acknowledge that everyone is important, everyone has a role to play. There's hardly anyone that comes to the work environment to make life difficult for anyone. Everyone wants to make a, a positive change. And there's, um, you know, differences in the way we do things. People do things differently. Sometimes the method may be longer and different, but it could still take us to the same outcome. So I've always given people a chance to also apply the expertise. So even when I have a team and in my mind, I know exactly the, the best solution, but the suggestion that comes from my subordinate or my peer will take us to the same result safely, 
and it would enhance their capability as well to also implement their ideas. So I've always tried to incorporate everyone's ideas such that it has been easy for people to, you know, be attracted to me and support me uh, and give me feedback when it was needed. So I've seen that uh, that ability to interact with people just makes it easy to transition between different countries or between different jobs or even between different work environments. So I've always used that uh, principle that I'm not better than anyone else. I just got the opportunity to be where I am. Fantastic. Fantastic. Were there any specific challenges or problems that might have created some significant learnings throughout your career? As a maintenance engineer, depending on where you are, the chances are you be faced with some really big breakdowns. And if I look at some of the roles that I've played where time was of the essence, you know, the breakdown would lead to other knock-on effects where be it a customer inconvenience, be it a, a vessel, a truck or a train waiting to be loaded, but they can't be loaded because there is a breakdown. So I've seen that pressure enables you to think differently, to look at different ways of doing things. And not only will it allow you to resolve that breakdown quicker, but also have ways of, of um, preventing that. So I've always taken these instances as an opportunity to look at how do I prevent it from happening? If it happens, how do I make it quicker? How do I um, have quick fix routines that can make me, you know, restore the plant quick enough and safely, and then at some point, you know, provide a much longer term solution to that problem. So I've always taken these opportunities as, yes, when you are in the thick of it, it's a very, very high pressure with the customers and the peers, your subordinates all looking up to you for decisions. Um, but you always look at, use it as an opportunity to learn. Um, and so that next time when it happens, you've got better methods of dealing with it. So that, that's how I have uh, always looked at it. I've had some really big breakdowns under my leadership that would affect serious customers, a number of customers. Uh, but just that ability to use it as, a, as an opportunity to prevent it from happening again and also organizing the teams quick enough, being agile, so that you do the best you can to resolve it as quick as possible. What's a common myth about your profession, Josiah, that you'd care to debunk? I think, um, I mean, talking to you, a mechanical engineer, most people think engineers are all the same. You know, mechanical engineers are all the same. Even maintenance engineers are all the same. So I've actually seen that there's a huge difference. I may be a mechanical engineer, but specialize in something completely different. I may have the same abilities to manage inputs and outputs, but I could apply those inputs and outputs completely differently. So I've almost worked in environments where I had to redefine roles and responsibilities, make people actually understand that this is the boundary of this person's inputs and outputs. This is the boundary of this person's inputs and outputs. Yes, there will always be gray areas where you are expected to do certain minimum as an engineer, certain minimum type of tasks, but there's certainly a clear difference between a mechanical engineer specializing in managing projects and a mechanical engineer specializing in heating, ventilation, and air conditioning, mechanical engineer specializing in maintenance, mechanical engineer specializes in nuclear physics or running a nuclear power plant or in power installation, power generation. So that it's, it's probably some of the things that we need to work as engineers to make it uh, known that uh, there are different aspects. Even in mechanical engineering, there are different roles and there are technologies, there are technicians, there are artisans, there are engineers, just being able to say what are the inputs and outputs that they manage. 
I've seen that in a lot of organizations. That difference is not known. If there was something you could look back at and wish, I'd like to have known that when you had started, what would it be? I would say the, the last bit that I spoke about now, you know, being able to know the differences in the different roles in, in engineering. I've seen that in probably the first five years of my career, it was always a head bashing, always a conflict of being able to differentiate between this actually is something that I'm not specialized to do. I can give advice, I can guide, but it's really not something that I can have authority on. So those things become clearer as time goes on in your career. You know, those roles, being able to differentiate between the different disciplines in engineering and being able to say, for this, I need this type of specialist because they specialize in that. They know how to design a heating and ventilation and air conditioning system. They will do it better than me. They'll do it quicker than me. So being able to identify those specialists and call on them when you need them and being able to know what your core is and then deliver on your core. Very interesting. And Josiah, what would you say your view as to the future for engineering? What does it look like? I think the methods that we use are certainly changing. The methods that we use to diagnose problems, to analyze data. And I've seen a lot of, I mean, I've, I've actually had the privilege to implement some of these projects where you do real-time monitoring of equipment something that probably was never being done on a massive scale in the past. Also, earlier on in my career, I worked with turbines, and I had the opportunity to see the real-time monitoring that was applied for steam turbines at that time, which is 20 years ago. And that technology was not as widely applicable or is available to other aspects of engineering as it is now today. So there's a lot more real-time monitoring, a lot more remote diagnosis of issues, so I see the future of engineering, we still have the basics in place. We still need someone that still has those spanners and those tools and being able to diagnose problems. But I think our ability to identify root causes and analyze data, monitor equipment is certainly going to change as time goes on. Also, the aspect of 3D printing for some of our spare parts, I've already started using some of those in my career in the different roles that I've been in you know, spare parts that are made from 3D printing. So I see that is going to change the way we manage maintenance, the space that we keep, because if you can print a spare part quick enough, then that could mean reducing your spare holding because I can just make that spare quick enough. So I see those things changing and simplifying the role of the engineer, but I still see the role of the engineer being as relevant as it was, as it's still going to be. Fantastic. The future is exciting. It is very exciting indeed. And I think it's uh, up to us to grasp it and be part of defining that future, be at the forefront of uh, directing that change so that we are not caught you know, by surprise uh, when new technologies are introduced. Sure. It's been fascinating talking with you. You give a very strong passion of, of wanting to succeed, seeing problems as opportunities, looking to continually improve, treating people with respect. It's, it's been some very powerful messages, Josiah. Thank you. I've got one more question which sort of in summary, what advice would you like to give young people potentially wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? I would say, um, because oftentimes I've seen, especially as a young graduate, in fact, I can count a few people that I've interacted with when you know, graduating or people that I knew, that you've got this pressure to become a senior engineer. You just want to 
you know, have this big office and then be the decision maker in the company. And oftentimes you can find companies that want to hire you into those roles at those early stages of your career. But I've seen that if you skip some of those basic stages that may not look very attractive during those early years of your career, and you jump on to those senior roles that may seem very attractive then, it may come back to you later in your life when those steps and the building blocks that you missed become very crucial in the decision that you make later in your life. So the advice that I'll give is that take those steps, be on the shop floor, spend as much time analyzing data, analyzing information right at the shop floor, interacting with people at the shop floor, learn from those people. Some may not be as literate as you are, but they certainly can give a lot of insights into how a piece of equipment behaves which you may then use to relate it to your training, your academic training. So I'll say spend time with those building blocks. Never stop learning. Always ask questions. Ask why. Ask why again. Ask why until you are satisfied. Do your own research. Be passionate about your field. And I think with abundance of information on the internet, I mean, subscribe, buy journals, read, research, Google. It's amazing how much information is available out there. But the fact that we don't take it and use it to enhance our careers I've oftentimes seen people fall and fail just because they've not used available information. And uh, ask people, inquire, join networks, interact with other people. Also apply, you know, give back. You learn more by giving back to other people, by training and mentoring other people, you learn the most. That also expands your networks. So I think if someone just keeps that passion, uh, they will never stop learning and they'll never stop selling as an engineer. Brilliant. Build a strong foundation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fantastic. Just like what you've done. Josiah, it's been tremendous hearing your journey. Engineering Manager at DIC, Josiah Mapafu, thank you very much. Thank you, David. It's been a privilege talking to you. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast episode of Engineering Career Journeys. Please like, subscribe and provide feedback. Australia-wide engineering recruitment can be found at australiawide.com.au or on our LinkedIn page. We look forward to presenting more interviews with interesting engineers shortly.